Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians. He says in 1 Corinthians 1.17, he says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of, his, uh, of its power. And we're here and we're talking about the book of 1 Corinthians. It's written to a church in the city of Corinth. And it's, it's a big city. And it's a city of people who uh, are, are taking on all of the things that the, that the world around them is offering. And they're importing and they're adapting to their surrounding culture in ways that are wrong. That are wrong. And I, I just want to start off this morning with just saying this. That how, how many times in the news media, or in our world, or in your work, or in whatever, do you hear that we are uh, behind, uh, that, that we are going to be left in the dust of history, that we're, we're not progressive, that we're not moving? How many times have you heard other churches who claim to be Bible-believing churches but are not that don't believe in the gospel and, and say that they're progressive and they're moving forward when really they're moving backwards. And that's what this passage is going to say here. And that is that, that the way that we think it should happen and the way that our world says that life should take place and the way that uh, everything around us is going is, is wrong. It's going in the wrong direction. But Jesus is the answer for our lives. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the real hope. And so Paul says, like, when, like you think, he's talking to this church and he's saying, you think that somehow baptism is the thing, but baptism isn't the thing. Baptism is a sign saying, I know what the real thing is. But these people, they're looking at all of these great teachers in their midst and they're saying, oh, I, Paul, you're such a fantastic Preacher, you're so anointed. Oh, Apollos, you're so wise. You're such a, a Greek philosopher. Oh, Peter, you're, you're fantastic. You know about all the Old Testament stuff. Oh, and then there's these other people who are like really in, like we're all about Christ and only Christ. But really it's motivated by pride and it's motivated by, by this idea that they haven't figured out and no one else does. And so Paul is here saying, like you're importing from the world this idea of wisdom, of power, of, of riches, of might. You're importing those things into the church, and you need to understand what the purity of the church is. And so what he's communicating to us is he's saying this. Like, it does not matter how eloquent I am. It does not matter how great I speak. What I'm bringing to you is just one thing. It's just one thing. And I want to know this morning, are you about that one thing? Is that one thing real in your life? Is that one thing the one thing that matters? Is that one thing the thing that, that is going to make a difference? Are you about one thing or are you about a lot of things? Are you about one thing or are you about a lot of things in your life? Where has the world crept in and told you that you need to be about multiple things? And some of you are suffering this morning, you're suffering because you don't feel like you have the right body type, or you don't feel like you have the right job, or you don't feel like you have the right major, or you don't feel like you have the right house, or you don't feel like you have the right whatever. You can't speak well. You can't do this well. You don't have that. You don't have that. What the gospel brings to us 
as a level playing field that says, you don't need those things to be whole. You don't need those things to be whole. And every time you go after those things, you're essentially saying that those things are my savior. Those things are the things that are, gonna, that are gonna make me whole. Those are the things that are gonna make me feel good about myself and about my life. And all of us are there. And I, I wanna bring to your attention this, this point. And that is that if somehow you've walked in as a Christian and, and, and you say, like, that, oh, that's, that's them, that's them at, at this point, you need to be confronted with the reality that you are just like the church in Corinth, and I am just like the church in Corinth, and that we have the very same tendencies that they do. We have the very same tendencies to not get along, to gossip about one another, to, to say, no, I, I like this leader more than I like this leader. We have the propensity to create the kind of disasters and crises that we see throughout our world. And uh, right now, two, I believe it's two additional shootings just uh, over the last week. And so our, our prayer um, right now as we think about what's going on in our world is that justice would be done. Because we, we don't know, right? We weren't there we can't make a judgment on what's taking place. What we do know is this, is that there's a deep wedge that's being further and further driven into our society. It's, it's, it's coming to a head, and there's, there's massive tensions. There's massive, um, a massive sense of ongoing racism that's taking place in our city, and we need to pray that justice would be done. And I want to tell you this, that the one thing, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the cross of Jesus Christ, that one thing is the one thing that can bring true and lasting healing to our world in and through uh, these events that have taken place. So we're praying for the police officers uh, who are involved, if they acted justly especially, that, that they would be exonerated. But we're also praying for the families who have lost um, daddies. We're praying for the, the, the kids that have, that, that have lost um, a father. We're praying for the wives that have lost husbands in the midst of this. Not because we're making a judgment on that, but because we have compassion on those people. So we want to be about that. But Paul says here, he says, For Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And what he's saying is, is he's saying this. He's saying that when when I'm going after making you feel good about what I'm preaching to you, when I'm going after you, getting your approval, when I'm going after you feeling good about what I'm saying, that is at the point where the cross is emptied of its power. Because somehow in the, the midst of that, like what's taking place is this, is that I am taking the gospel and I'm kind of shrouding it with something that sounds good, with something that feels good. And so what Paul is saying is he's saying it is not about those things that you think it's about. And, and, and really, it impugns the gospel. It doesn't adorn the gospel with beautiful things and make it look beautiful. What it does is it makes it look worse. And so what he's saying here is he's saying for, in verse 18, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And so what he's saying is what we already know, and that is that conversations about capital punishment are not great dinner topics, right? Like to sit around and say, hey, did, do you know about the origins of the electric chair? How it didn't really work the first time, and they really had to sit there and, you know, use it for quite a while on this guy, and it was kind of gross, right? Like that's a bad, that is, that is a really kind of disgusting conversation piece. 
And here we have somebody who's a movement leader, and he's talking about this. He's saying, I am not the point. Jesus is the point. But more importantly, it's what Jesus did. It's Jesus' work on the cross. It wasn't an unfortunate event. It was the event that was the greatest event of all time. And if I don't bring you that, then I'm not bringing you anything. And so he says, rather than shying away from the gospel, rather than shying away from this idea of capital punishment, (coughs) rather than shying away from the idea of this cross, he says, that is the thing that I'm bringing you. That's the thing. Are you about the one thing or are you about lots of things? People in our world look at this and they say, that's foolishness. That is absolute foolishness that you would sit around and talk about that. Think about this. Talk, think about your most un, uh, <laughs> unevangelical friend, unchristian uh, friend, somebody who doesn't really have any hope in that, doesn't really care about that. They're, they're into all of their stuff. I have lots of friends like that, love them, and care about them. But when you bring up in conversation, if you were to say this, like the most important thing in your life, is the person, Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh and how he was put to death on a cross. Like that's the most important thing in life. And they would say, well, that's dumb, all right? That's, that's stupid. Uh, that has happened. That why, why does some guy dying on, on a cross, why does that make any difference to me? Why does that change my life? Why does that, why does that matter at all? So Paul's gonna go into it here. He says, This very thing is the most important thing. It is the power of God. It is the power of God. So here's a question for you. If it's the one thing to you, do you understand that the cross of Jesus Christ is the power source of your life? The cross of Jesus Christ is the power source of your Christian life. See, many people believe that the cross is for saving, and then I go on to something better. I go on to something else. I, 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 I learn to live rightly. I, I learn to do all these, these good things, and the cross just kind of stays there in the background, and, and it's just kind of, that's what got me in. That was, that was the rite of initiation. That was the hazing I had to go through. That was the thing that I, that I had to listen to, but now I move on to something else. And Paul says... To a bunch of people who've been in the church for a really long time, like this is the thing, it is the power. So is the thing, the cross, is that the thing for you and for your life? And unfortunately for many Christians, it's not. Unfortunately for many people, it is not because of this. Because our world, our, our uh, society, our country in many ways believes that it is already Christian, it, at least used to. We have in God we trust on our, on our money. And so in a sense, I'm an American, and so therefore I have Christian roots. But in reality, what's happening is this, is that people don't really have Christian roots. They have this idea of morality, do more good than bad, and then God will bless me. But here's the problem with that, is that you are the one who gets to say, hey, I've done more good than bad, and so therefore God is going to accept me uh, because I've been a pretty good person. I've been okay with things. Meanwhile, you overlook and you overlook and you overlook your own sin. But the way that God works, when you really look at it, it looks like foolishness. It looks like foolishness. And some of us need to confront that today. 
He says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. He is quoting from Isaiah. And he's, he's saying, the God of the Old Testament, who said this, who prophesied this, who said these things through his prophet, he is doing this now. That, that is who he was then, that is who he is now. And so he is saying, I'm going to destroy the wisdom of the wise. I am going to, uh, the discernment of the discerning, I'm going to thwart. So everybody who thinks that they're wise and everybody who thinks that they're discerning is really at a loss. How does this work? Verse 20, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? And what he's saying is that he's saying this, that these people were divided up into racial lines on some level. There's Paul, and then there, who is a Roman citizen, and then there's Apollos, who's, who's a, a, a Greek citizen, and then there's, uh, and then there's Peter, who's uh, more of a, a Jew, a, a, a serious Jew. And then there's these people who are into Christ. But he's saying, you people are looking each to your own means. And you're saying, here's the thing that I value most. Here's the thing that I want the most. I want somebody who has wisdom when they're, when they're teaching. I want somebody who has, who has this, this understanding of the knowledge or, or, or of the word. That would be a scribe. I want somebody who can kind of debate and kind of work with modern thought and, and all of these things. Paul says this, he says, where is this person, where is that person? Has not God made foolish what they see as wisdom? See, here's the thing that you, that you got to understand, is that if you're going to be a Christian, and you're going to walk into the world and you're going to claim, like, this is who I am and this is what I believe, that our world is never going to accept that. Our world is never going to accept those things. There will be people from our world that will accept those things. But you must understand this. It is foolishness to our world insofar as they see what wisdom is. It is foolishness to our world. And you will not escape that. Are you willing to bear that as a Christian? He says, for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. Now, stop right there for a second, and we're really going by this piece by piece because I really want you to understand this. In God's wisdom, whose wisdom? The creator of the universe, the one who created all things, who created your mind, who created wisdom. In his wisdom, he decided that uh, the world did not know God through wisdom. What, what's that mean? It means that the really smart people aren't the people who find God. It means that the people who are... Who are who have a lot of skills and abilities are not the people who find God. It means that your pursuit of God cannot be found in doing or, or being something. Your pursuit of God, the way to find him, the way to him, can only take place through his wisdom, not through your knowledge or your perceived knowledge. This is the way that God works. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. God is pleased by this. God is pleased by this reality that our world thinks that, uh, that the strong survive 
and the weak perish. Our world thinks that the talented are the people who should show it off. Our world thinks that the people who are most powerful should be the ones who rule. You, you see it every single day. It is what the fight, it is the fight that is going on right now. It's the fight between the white community and the black community, between law enforcement and the African American community. It is, it is the fight in Syria. The strong are eating the weak. It is the fight everywhere. It's why we have laws. Like landlords cannot rent uh, or lease their property to only these types of people. They can't have these thoughts of saying, you're a weak person and so you can't rent my place. No, that we're making laws that say like this, uh, this can't be because even our world sees this as wrong, yet our world operates on this idea that the strong should eat the weak. And we continue to abide by that. And we continue to look at that. And we continue to say, like, this is, this is real wisdom. This is the way that life should operate. We conduct our affairs in this way. We conduct our life in this way. And so he says in verse 22, For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and folly to the Gentiles. And so he's, here's, here's what he's saying. He's saying, like, the Jews are saying, like, we're waiting for this great Messiah. We're waiting for this great Savior to come. He's going to come in power. He's going to come. He's going to rescue all of us, and it's going to be fantastic. But the absurdity of the Messiah coming and suffering is just too much for them. It's a stumbling block. It's a scandal. There's no way that this Messiah would be someone who is a criminal locked up and then crucified and put to death. There's no way it should happen. The Greeks are looking at it saying, like, this is not wisdom. This is not wisdom. There's no power in this. So there's religious people and there's irreligious people who likewise look at the cross and they say like this is nutso like how could this be the thing this God should come in power he should come and rule over everyone and Paul says we preach Christ crucified that's what we're preaching all I have for you as a preacher is Christ crucified that's all that I have. It's, that's, that's the most important thing. It's the one thing. It's the only thing. It's Christ crucified for you. All of your life change. Everything you're trying to change about yourself, everything you're trying to do in your life comes down to one thing, Christ crucified. And if it's not flowing out of that, you have nothing. If it's flowing out of self-effort, you have nothing. If it's flowing out of duty, I'm a Christian, I should do this, it's out of nothing. It can only come out of Christ crucified. 
Verse 24 says, But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. The people who are believers, somehow they look at the cross and they say, like, this is the thing. Like, to, to somebody who's been called by God, they look at this and they say, I see God's wisdom in and through this. And I, I don't know what it is. Sometimes I think to myself, like, how is it that I have faith in God? How is it that, like, I choose to believe? Like, I believe it. Like, I believe that Jesus went to the cross for me. I believe that the cross is the most important thing. It's got to be because God somehow, in his great mercy, has called me to himself. And has said, like, yes, you're going to believe this, Matt. It's you. you you're, you're going to believe that I went to the cross for you. And so he says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. God, let, let, me, let me say this first. The word foolishness is uh, from the root word, uh, it, it basically is moron, right? So uh, the, the, the moronicness of God is wiser than men. Like, like, this is going to sound a little bit bad, but like God on his most foolish day is so much smarter than you or I. God on his dumbest day is still smarter than you and me. God's wisdom outweighs my wisdom, but isn't this the problem all of the time with us? We say, I think I know better than God. I think I know what, what should be in my life. I think I know what I need in my life. I think I know what, what should be taking place in my life. And this has been the problem since the very beginning. As Adam and Eve became a law unto themselves and they said, I am going to do and I'm going to act as I see fit. And I'm not looking to God to be the one who is, who is going to give his law to me. And so we become people who say, you know, I am the purveyor of what is right and wrong. I am the one who decides what is true and what is not true. And then our world looks at us and, 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 and they say, uh, how dare you try to make decisions about life? How dare you judge? How dare you do these things? But here we are as Christians and we say this. We say, I am not the one who's making the rules. I am not the one who has created the law. I am not the one who has done this. It is God. It is his doing, and I follow him. But too often that's not the case. We cave and we say, okay, I'll go along with the world and what they have for me. But the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. He says in verse 26, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Now, this reminds me of the Geico commercial with uh, the Pinocchio uh, motivational speaker when he says, When I look around this room, I see nothing but untapped potential. Paul is looking around this room and he says, When I look at this room, I see overtapped potential. Like, you guys have reached your limit there's not a whole lot left. Like, there's, like, you don't really have much. Like, when, I mean, not many of you are, are really smart. Some, some of you are not really smart. Some of you, you, you don't really have much power. You don't have, uh, you're not wise by worldly standards. You don't, you're not powerful, and you didn't come from nobility. 
so you don't have a lot of wealth. And what Paul is saying is true. This is a group of people that are, that are ragtag Christians. These are people who are slaves. These are people that don't have much. And they've come to God because they are extremely uh, destitute. And they say, all I have is Christ. All I have is him. And Paul is saying, don't you remember this? That you didn't come from nobility. You didn't come from some wise family that has wisdom and great education. And you don't have a lot of power. You didn't come to God through those things because that's not who you were. And Paul is saying that you've got to remember where you came from in this. That God called you when you didn't have anything. God didn't call you because you were a really good Christian. God didn't call you whether you think so or not because you can just you can do things well. And you can be more righteous than other people. God didn't call you because you're successful. God didn't call you because you have your life together. God called you because he is good. And he just decided to call you. Consider your calling. You had nothing to offer him, and he had everything to offer you. See, most Christians don't get this. They, they think somehow, like, the way that I reside right now, the, where I'm at right now in life, is like God should accept me because I have, I, I did do uh, a quiet time. I read my Bible and I prayed today. Or I didn't do that one sin that I know that I shouldn't be doing. Or I didn't act in this way. And people think that somehow, like I have merited God's grace. I have merited what God has for me. I've, I've been industrious. I've, I've made something of myself. God should be happy with me. But you were not wise according to God's standards. And you were not powerful according to God's standards. And you did not have nobility according to God's standards. Because the truth is that my sin and your sin put him to death on the cross. And so he's saying, you've got to consider this. You've got to understand this. He says, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And like this is like almost beyond comprehension. That God would say, like, all right, I see a bunch of losers. I would like them on my team. Like this is this is like the worst, you know, uh, game. I don't even remember elementary school. Like uh, picking teams, whatever. God was like going through. Like you look like a loser. I'll take you. You look like a loser. I'll take you. I mean, like I would have been on God's team for sure, right? I mean, like there's no doubt about it. Like God is the one who is pleased to say, like I want the weak. I want the people who are of little account. I want the people who know that they're messed up. I want the people who understand this. And what he's, what he's pointing out here is he's saying, connection with God does not come through pride. Connection with God does not come through your pride and you saying that you somehow are able to keep God's word. Connection with God does not come through that. And some of you came through the doors this morning and you, and you know I am blowing it. I am blowing it. I, I am in trouble. Like if somebody knew, if somebody found me out, if like, man, I am 
I am blowing it in life. And this is the beauty of the gospel. God does not pick people who have it all together. God is not choosing you because you're just good or you're good looking or you smell nice or you've got a really big Bible or like somehow you're just like, you know, all of the Christian cuss words instead of the actual cuss words. And, and like you, you don't watch R-rated movies and you, you don't ever take a sip of beer. I don't know why you would do that, but and you and what, whatever it is in your life, God did not choose you because of that. God is pleased to choose the weak. Like you came in here weak, God is pleased to choose the weak over the strong. This is the beauty of the gospel. This is why we say, that's the one thing. That's the one thing. And so that you would say, okay, in my humility, like, oh my goodness, like I really don't have it all together. I really am not that smart. And yet he chooses me, and it creates an incredible gratitude that says yes to Jesus and no to sin. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of of God. Why does God do this? Why does God do this? Let me keep reading. And because of him, not because of you, but because of him, not because of a great preacher, but because of him, not because of something that you've done, but because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. It's not that you're associated with them or like, okay, I'm a Christian. It's not that you're like kind of associated with this church and like I attend there. No, it's like you're in Christ Jesus. You're in him. Like what are you into? I am, I'm into Christ Jesus. Like that's my thing. That's the thing in my life. Why? Because of him. He says, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, Righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Think, I mean, they're just so, those words are loaded. Righteousness being like God gives me perfection. He takes all of my crud, He takes all of my junk, and He says, okay, I'm gonna take all of that stuff, the record of everything that you've done. Like when you think through your mind and you go, okay, like I did that and I did that and I did that and I did that. Like, are you plagued by your sin? Are you like, man, I just can't get away from it. Like, it's just dogging me. He takes your sinfulness and he says, that is mine. I'm taking it on myself. And I am going to give you what you do not possess and cannot get on your own. And I'm going to give you righteousness. It's goodness. It's perfection. I'm giving you that. And then sanctification, like there's this holiness. It's not that just that, that you have a good record. It's that you are holy. God looks at you and he sees this perfection. He sees that you've been made right. He says in redemption. 
So not only do you have his record, not only do you have his holiness, but he has taken you, taken you as his own. It is in Christ Jesus. It is in and through the cross that we have his perfection. And he doesn't say to us, hey, by the way, I've done all this stuff for you. I've made you righteous. I've made you sanctified. Now get to work, sucker. Don't screw it up. Don't mess this up. Don't make this, don't make this mistake. Don't, don't do this. It's redemption. He buys you back. He takes you as his own. There's nothing that can take you away from that. So that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now, I was studying for this, and I was like, I got to figure out, like, okay, God, this is foolishness. Why, 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 like, why do you want us to know that the world sees us as foolishness. I understand why, but at the same time, I have to tell people why. And then I look down and I read, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. It's just the answer right there, right? Like, uh, God operates the way that he does so that you cannot take one bit of credit for anything that God has done in your life. But our problem is this, is that we're repeatedly, over and over, taking credit. Paul is quoting Jeremiah 9, 23, uh, which says this, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. God is saying to you and to me, there are things in our lives that we are boasting in. And those things are other saviors. Those are things that you're looking to to forego the cross and to say somehow I'm going to be okay if this one thing takes place. It can happen multiple times a day. It can happen as a a steadfast thing in your life where where, where you're like, you know, there's just things over and over and over again and there's this one thing that I really really want or that I really need or, or I have to have. And God says this, if you can boast in it, if you can take credit for it, it's nothing. It's nothing. God's purpose in your life is that you will not be able to boast over what he's given you. And I'm going to wrap up with just the last couple of verses here from chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. And it says, it's just Paul kind of saying, let me... Let me just kind of put a bow on this, he says. He says, And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. 
He says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I, I resonate with Paul a, a little bit in that, like when I started preaching 10 years ago, um, I, I started this little college ministry, and um, I had really never preached before. And uh, I had just watched my dad do it, and uh, um, there's not a lot of wisdom in, in learning to preach that way. But uh, I started preaching, and, and uh, oh my gosh, I was so scared when I, when I would get up. And uh, I'm scared today. I'm not the Apostle Paul. But I think I can resonate with Paul and just say, like, when I came to you, like, in the midst of this, like, I'm not coming here with some lofty words, with some eloquent wisdom. I'm not coming to you with something, with something great. If there's anything that you hear from me, I want you to set aside the jokes. I want you to set aside the personal stories. I want you to set aside all of that. And I want you to see just one thing. Like those, all of that other stuff is not plausible words of wisdom. I am not bringing you worldly wisdom. I'm telling you this, that if Jesus Christ is not your one thing, you are in trouble. If you think that you're a Christian and Jesus Christ is not your one thing, you are in trouble. But if Jesus Christ is your one thing, if Jesus is your thing, live that out. Live that out. What's that mean? It means this. It means, it means that everything is turned on its head. It means that worldly wisdom isn't God's wisdom. Worldly wisdom means that I can be wronged in business and still be fine. Worldly wisdom means this. It means I don't have to have these other things because my one thing is Jesus Christ on the cross crucified for me. That is God's wisdom. That's the one thing that I need in my life. And if you and I don't get that right, if we don't get that one thing, we've missed everything else. And Paul, Paul's going to go into all kinds of like stuff in their life He's going to talk about divorce and sexual immorality. And he's, going to, he's going to talk about how they should act together and, and all kinds of things like this. <coughs> but what he wants us to know first and foremost is that God's wisdom is not found in being a good person on your own. God's wisdom is found in first going to the cross of Jesus Christ and saying, I believe. Saying anybody else can say whatever they want but the cross is the one thing in my life. I want so bad for you to hear that. I want so bad for you to understand that. I want so bad for us to have a church full of people, which I believe that we have, but we want more. We want more people who are saying, Jesus is the one thing for me. 
I'm not going to sit here and complain about the things that I wish we had or that I had. Jesus is the one thing, and that's what's taught here. That's my prayer. That's my prayer, that we would be that kind of people and that that would seep out into our world and that our world would see that person does not care about wisdom. They do not care about money. They do not care about power. They only care about one thing, and that is to adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ with their life. Let's pray. Lord, my only hope this morning is that I've, I've preached your cross and not through uh, some desire to be eloquent. Lord, I'm praying for our people. I'm praying for all of us. I'm praying for myself that, Lord, that we would let go of the worldly desires uh, to be seen as wise, to be seen as um, people who have it together. But, Lord, that we would be okay with being misunderstood, that we would be okay with people saying that this is foolishness, that we would be okay um, with even putting up with a lot of stuff done against us in the name of your cross. So, Lord, I pray that we would get that this morning and that we would be people that are resonating with that idea and saying, all I have is Christ. Everything else is crud. All I have is Christ. Oh, would you do that in our lives? Lord, for those that are here this morning that are just like, man, I just don't believe. I'm just not there yet. God, would you call them to yourself by the power of your spirit? Lord, we know that that's the only way that we come to know you, that, Lord, you call us. You woo us through your great grace and mercy. Lord, we're so thankful for that. Lord, call them to yourself. Lord, for the, the Christian who has been Christian in name only and has never really resonated with your gospel, but has thought that it was about morality and doing things right, Lord, would you correct them in their spirit? And Lord, would they see your grace and mercy afresh, understanding that they need humility in life, understanding that they need uh, you more than they need their own works? It's in your name that we pray, amen.